Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are throwing it back on this Thursday to 1985 to revisit the Monday night smackdown of the Chicago Bears. I'll be joined by a member of that team and a member of the Miami Dolphins ring of honor on this Thursday, April the 2nd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins... And we're going to get to my interview real quick here in just one second, but a couple of news items off the top of this show today. First off, I really hope that everyone out there is staying safe and staying protected from this virus that has taken the nation by storm, this pandemic that has really put a damper on our lives, our sports world, and everything in between. Hopefully this podcast and other podcasts and other sports outlets out there have brought you some joy and some entertainment during these difficult times. As I certainly know for myself that the Tiger King on Netflix, Better Call Saul, the new season of Ozark, and Brockmire as well have really brought me some entertainment. I hope this Drive Time podcast and all the things we do at MiamiDolphins.com, on the socials, the Audible, the Fish Tank podcast, all the content we provide, hopefully it's giving you some relief during these difficult times. But I want to get some positive news on here, or at least a report from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network as he tweeted out on Tuesday that the NFL says the schedule release will likely be around May the 9th, no later than that, so plan your calendars accordingly. And hopefully that's a positive sign that we get football back sooner rather than later because I know we all love this game, we love this team, and especially this year heading into a new season where I think there's a lot of hope around Brian Flores, Chris Greer, and this Miami Dolphins operation. On the topic of hope and a good football team, let's go ahead and go back now to 1985. It's Throwback Thursday. We're going to do these podcasts and articles up on MiamiDolphins.com and relive some of the best games and best moments in Miami Dolphins history and tonight we're going back to 1985 and I think most Dolphins fans do recall that game pretty well especially those that were around to watch that game back in 85 but if you haven't seen it go to YouTube the game is up there and you're gonna watch Dan Marino in his prime in the first couple of years of his career where I think there's a bit of a misconception about what kind of player Dan Marino was early on in his career and on that topic I'm really speaking specifically about the mobility because in this game you see a 24 25 year old Dan Marino running around out there extending plays getting out of pressure and converting huge first downs on third and a mile and that's just not what the NFL was at that time and Marino was so revolutionary in the way he was playing the game and converting third and 18, third and 16, throwing the football all over the field. I don't have to tell most of you Dolphins fans what that was like, but if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend going back because you want to talk about revolutionary play. I really think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody in the history of the league that really transformed the game the way Dan Marino did. And now the game we see every single Sunday across the entire NFL landscape has kind of taken on the mentality of what a Dan Marino led football team at the quarterback position looks like with all the pass happy rules in the NFL, the gaudy stats posted up. Marino was just so, so ahead of his time. And he also had a receiving core that was well ahead of its time. And that's where we're going to go ahead and pivot into my guest today. He scored two touchdowns in that game. He is in the Dolphins ring of honor. Certainly a Miami Dolphins legend. He played 13 years in the NFL. And let's go ahead and roll my interview with Nat Moore. 
and I'm thrilled to be joined here on the Drive Time Podcast by former Pro Bowl receiver, Ring of Honor member with the Miami Dolphins. He caught 510 passes in his career, over 7,500 yards, and 74 touchdowns. You know, at my age, you know, sometimes you just need to sit back and watch the game. <laughs> well, that's that's what we love having you on here for us to talk about this Dolphins team because you bring a good perspective from a former player, a guy that was in the league for a long time with this Dolphins team for a long time, and that we talked off air. We're going to go into this 1985 Monday night thriller against the Chicago Bears, an absolute beatdown from your hometown Miami Dolphins. And I wanted to talk to you first, Nat, about the perception of the Dolphins going into that game against an undefeated Bears team. We know about protecting this perfect season, all that stuff. But we're talking about the previous year's AFC champions, a loaded offense. I have to imagine that the experts' predictions for that game in your house at the Orange Bowl, I have to imagine that kind of revved you guys up a little bit. Yeah, you know, we were a little disappointed. Uh, matter of fact, the right word is pissed off that uh, for some some reason... Uh, everybody forgot that we were the team that were in the Super Bowl the year before. Yes, we lost to the 49ers, but we had been to uh, two Super Bowls in the past three years. And, and of course, the Bears were a great team. And uh, the, defensively, they, they were as good as it gets. They had Walter Payton. But to think that you're going to play us on a Monday night at home uh, and we don't have a chance. And, and I think that's the thing that infuriated us. We didn't look down on the on the bears. We thought the bears were a great team. We thought they, they were as good as everybody made them out to be, but we also felt like we were a pretty good football team. We've been an offensive juggernaut for the past three years since the Dan Marino uh, entered our system. And then in 83, but in 84, we sort of found our, our gate and uh, really, really started to put up some points. So yeah, we were a little disappointed and upset that uh, no one gave us a chance on, on a Monday night football game. And you mentioned Dan Marino and kind of the impact he had on the offense. And I spoke a little bit before I had you on about how he really revolutionized the game and the passing game in the NFL into kind of what it is now. And it started in that game very early. The very first series, you guys go down the field for a touchdown. And there's a third and 18 play on that first series where Dan breaks the pocket, gets away from pressure. He then directs traffic and kind of pulls up before the line of scrimmage for a big time gain. Is that something that really inspired confidence in the rest of the offense? Like, we know that no matter what the down and distance, no matter what the situation, this guy can really help bail us out? Well, you know, we, we felt we were a pretty good football team after 1982. And then when we saw the abilities of Dan when he came in in, in 83, his ability to throw the football, his ability to read coverage, the fact that he got it out so quickly, we knew that he was special. And as he grew year after year, he got even better. So the confidence level that we had in him was just uh, mind-boggling. I mean, and, and the confidence he had in us, you know, um, that was the beauty of that football team is that we had so many weapons and Dan could pick and choose how to use them all. And he had confidence in everybody. And because of that, I think that year we led the league in scoring. That was definitely a common occurrence for that Dolphins team, those Dolphins teams of the 80s, I should say. And you got the scoring started that night with a 33-yard touchdown pass from Dan Marino. And one of the things about these games on the broadcast, Nat, is you don't really get a chance to see you know, the all-22 angle, the six or seven replays they show nowadays on these broadcast versions. And I was curious if you could kind of walk us through that touchdown pass because it looks like you pretty much just come off the line, you take a little bit of a chip from a defensive end on that play, and then you get out into the route 
and then that's when the magic starts to happen for you, Nat. You start breaking guys' ankles and making plays. What? When did you know you were going to score on that play? Well, you know, you know, a lot of times I think Coach Shula don't get the credit that he deserves. You know, he's the winningest coach in football, and 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 it's for a reason. You know, his strategy, his ability to look at uh, the opponent and see what the weaknesses are of their defense or are their offense is critical. And one of the things that he looked at was the reason uh, the Bears were having so much success was uh, against this defense. Everybody kept trying to throw the fade and hit them for the touchdown. Uh, versus uh, just getting a safe play and lining up and playing the next play. And uh, he decided to move me to the tight end position where now I'm going up against uh, Dave Durson. Or if he blitzed, then Wilbur Marshall, the linebacker's got to cover me. Um, uh, or, you know, in the, well, in the 46 defense, Wil- Wilbur covers me. In the regular defense, Dave Durson has covered me. But if they blitz, then all I got to do is five-yard route, break to the outside, and force Gary Fitzick to have to tackle me one-on-one in the open field. Well, when you've got seven, eight people going at the quarterback and they're all going uh, uh, south and the ball's being thrown north, well, once you catch the football, you've got Gary Fitzick screaming, trying to get there to make a play. And I have to jump in here real quick to let the audience know that we dropped the call right there, but I called Nat back and picked it right back up at that spot of the conversation. So here is Nat Moore on the strategy of going against that Bears defense with Coach Sula, Dan Marino, and the Dolphins offense. The Coach Sula felt that if they blitzed, what we would do is just run a little five-yard out, uh, force the free safety, which was Gary Fensick, to have to come up and tackle me in the open field uh, from 13 yards deep. But all I had to do was make a move on him, and uh, then there's no one there to make a tackle. And true enough, it worked to perfection. Um, uh, we're, we're, we score the, the first series. Uh, we uh, go up 7 nothing, and, uh, and we're off and running. And that first score definitely set the tone of the game, Nat. This next series the Bears had, they had that – that I'm not really sure what the rule is on it since I'm a little bit younger of a Dolphins fan, but they kept coming to the line of scrimmage and they couldn't get the snap off because they were complaining about the crowd noise. What was that like for you guys on the sideline to sit there and watch them basically get these restarts where they reset the play clock and stop the game so the crowd can quiet down? Well, it's called home field advantage. I mean, that (laughs) night the stadium was electric. I mean, uh, you know, someone said something to me about – did you see the perfect season team, uh, the 72 team, on the sideline? I'm like, they were here? I didn't even know. But that was the level of focus that the team had it. And the excitement from the fans and et cetera, you know, we're, we're so pumped up. And, of course, you know, every time that uh, they came up to the line of scrimmage and they wanted to snap the football, the fans got louder and louder and louder. You know, that's the one thing about great fans. They're very educated, and, know, and they know that they can be a factor doing a game to help their team win, and they take the personal pride to do so. And they certainly made that impact in the Orange Bowl, and now in that Hard Rock Stadium renovation with the roof on top, the canopy, it gets rocking in that stadium as well. Let's go back to you. You mentioned a a game planning schematic standpoint in terms of Shula getting you guys into great situations. And one of the things that I noticed watching that game back was how Marino was under quite a bit of constant pressure. How much was that kind of on the forefront of the game plan that week saying, Hey Dan, you're going to have to move around back there because these guys are coming. 
Well, I think Dan knew that, uh, you know, uh, he was going to have a lot of pressure on. We talked about it uh, all week long. And the thing that made everything work is Dan can hold the ball a split second longer and get rid of it and get it out of there because of the quick release. So, you know, he didn't have to anticipate the throw as much. Uh, and he has that ability to sidestep and throw around people, and and that's what we did. And and you know by the end of the first half, you know they can say what they want. The game was over. You know at that point they were so frustrated because they couldn't get to the quarterback. You know we had a pretty damn good offensive line that uh, did the job, and and you knew that when they blitzed, there were going to be one guy free. And Dan was going to throw around him, and Dan is a tough guy. Dan, you know, Dan was one of them, you know, quarterbacks that uh, can't take a shot. He'll stand in there and deliver the football, and that's what made him so great. You know, he took personal pride in being the best. And so when you see people talk about, like, let's say the Patrick Mahomes and the Russell Wilsons of today's game, how do you compare what they do in today's, you know, 2020 NFL compared to what Dan was doing back in those mid-80s with, you mentioned, getting off that spot and having that quick release to be able to beat that free rusher because he did have that great release? Well, I think the difference is, you know, where Dan basically had bad knees and, and couldn't move around as much as they did, but Dan was like a a, a dancer in the pocket. You know, he, he didn't scramble far. His goal was always to get the ball out and get it downfield, so he might slide two steps left, two steps right, and then and, and two steps up. I mean, he worked the pocket, uh, you know, like a pro and was able to get the ball off. And what we see today is, uh, quarterbacks that have more escapability, but they all are an semblance of what Dan wants worth throwing the football. Uh, the fact that you have enough confidence that you can get it in there to your receivers. Um, you know, uh, you know, the one thing that has always been interesting about football is that quarterbacks are taught to not throw the ball in the coverage. Do not make the big mistake. And then there's a fine line between the guys that have the ability to fit it in to tight quarters. And Dan was one of the first that did it and made a living doing it. But that was because he had so much confidence that if he did throw it in there, his receivers were going to come down with the football. His receivers were going to get open. And that's what you see with some of the young quarterbacks today. You know, they give their teammates a chance to make a play. And that's what you have to love about some of these guys. We've got Nat Moore here, Dolphins Ring of Honor member, former Pro Bowler, and member of that 1985 team that did knock off the Bears on Monday Night Football. And you mentioned, Nat, that the game kind of felt like it was over after the first half, after that block punt that turned into a touchdown, which you scored. We'll get to that in just one second. But early in that game, the Bears were jumping off sides a lot. You mentioned the home field advantage, the crowd noise. And then there was the interception Number 43, Bud Brown, comes down with it, and then he gets into a bit of a scuffle with the Bears' offensive lineman. Could you kind of sense that frustration mounting throughout the game from the Bears' perspective? Yeah, I, I, I think any time when you're not having the great success that you're expecting, uh, you know, there's some frustration sets in. And as you start to look at your game plan and, and, and wonder if you need to get out of something that you're getting hurt in, but you believe in your system, the question is, when do you abandon that and, and, and try something new in a ball game? And to the Bears' credit, they believed in the 46. They stayed in the 46 the whole ball game. Well, that's what we were prepared to go up against. So, we, we, you know, we, we didn't have any issues with it. Uh, I think that 
if we had not lost the uh, AFC Championship game to the to Patriots, uh, when we would have played them in the Super Bowl, uh, that would have been the rematch. And I think we would have saw the changes that they would have made to make sure that we didn't take advantage of their 46 defense. I think I speak for Dolphins fans everywhere that would say that if we had a time machine and can go back and replay one game, it would be the AFC Championship game because I would love to see that Super Bowl rematch with y'all and the Chicago Bears. So you've talked about Marino's kind of ability to extend plays and make big plays down the field. There was one instance where he had a third and 18 back shoulder throw to yourself right up the seam, and there was tight coverage on the play. You uncovered, kind of turned around, pirouette, and made an excellent catch in coverage. What was that play like from your perspective and running that seam route where you get the back shoulder throw from Dam? Well, I mean, but that's the, that's the difference. You know, having a quarterback that will make a decision and he's going to throw it where you can catch it. Um, you know, uh, we had that counter rapport. You know, we worked on a lot of this stuff in practice. And, you know, uh, the key is being under control so that you can make the adjustment and him knowing that you'll make that adjustment. You know, that was the beauty of us having so many skill position receivers that we all played alike, uh, even though we had uh, different skill sets, we all played similar, whether it was the three, four tight ends that played, whether it was the three, four wide receivers or the backs. And, and you know, we, we all ran our routes with discipline, with the idea that the ball's coming, and uh, you just got to be ready to make a play. And uh, Dan made a fine throw, and it was just easy for me to catch. And the entire night was one of making plays for the Dolphins offensively, defensively, and on special teams. We hinted about the blocked punt that went for a touchdown to you just a couple of plays later. The energy in that stadium, Nat, I have to imagine was unlike anything most football players would ever experience. Was that the moment you knew this game was was kind of on ice? No, I mean, I, I can say this is that, you know, that night, the energy within that stadium in 13 years of playing professional football, I never felt it before then, and I never felt it after that. And I've been in some big ball games. I've been in two Super Bowls. I've been around loud and rambunctious crowds. But that particular night, uh, it was so electric that uh, you know the game just sort of slowed down, and you could just see things happening. You could see the development of everything in front of you. Uh, so the game was 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 uh, it was an unbelievable game. And we covered your first touchdown, the big reception on the third and eighteen play, and then you finally scored that six yard touchdown to make it thirty one to ten after that punt. And I want to get your 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 feelings about this play because Dan, like we talked about, kind of falls back, buys a little bit of time, anticipates the rush, and we can't see you now on the broadcast version of the game. Uh, as far as what your route was, it looked like it might have been a little pivot route as far as where you wound up. But I'm curious yeah. to get your perspective on that play. What did that play look like from the receiver's perspective? Well, I, and I and I was actually running that particular play against Wilbur Marshall, who you know this time they don't blitz. He's in coverage. There's they're in their 46 defense, and I and it was called Lexo, uh, where I start across uh, with him trying to run with me, and I pivot and I come back out. Um, and of course, once I once I slow down and then sped up, all of a sudden he knows he can't run with me, so he's got to go as fast as he can. Now I spin, I come back out, and I catch him wide open, and once again I go in the end zone untouched. 
You go up by 21 points on that play, and then I think the ultimate icer, the ultimate capper on that game was the 42-yard touchdown from Marino to Clayton. That was a back-breaking <laughs> play. Was that, was that the moment you felt like it was just, okay, we got this in hand? Well, let, let, let me say this to you. You know, the Bears and the guys that play for the Bears, Richard Dent, Jim McMahon, Otis uh, Wilson, all, all those guys, uh, Jim Thornton, they're my friends, and, and we hang out together all the time, you know, nowadays. And uh, to this day, they say, you know, we knew it, was, uh, it wasn't our night when the ball hits one of our guys <laughs> in the head and it ends up in Mark Clay's hands <laughs> for a touchdown. <laughs> So, yeah, it was one of those nights, and uh, believe it or not, when, when Jim came in the game, uh, because you remember McMahon did not start. Yep. Uh, when he came in the game, um, because uh, Walter was so close to getting his yards uh, to go over 1,000, he came in and, you know, was handing the ball off to Walter, you know, because he knew the game was, was out of reach. You know, <laughs> we're not going to win, so we might as well make sure Walter goes over 1,000 tonight. <laughs> Uh, and he and I converse about that quite a bit. It, it kind of seemed like they knew they were up against a tough challenge as far as the Dolphins' offense that night because early in that game, they were putting the ball up in the air and they were handing the ball off to players that were not Walter Payton. So it almost seemed like they had to keep pace with your offensive juggernaut because you guys were scoring so quickly and so often. Yeah, that's one of the things about football is that you know a lot of times when teams go up, uh, it forces the other team to become one-dimensional. Yep. Uh, so once we took that big lead, um, you know, knowing that if they don't get some stops, then there's no way they could ever catch up because they've got to score every time and they can't ground it out to try and catch up. So they were forced to throw the ball a lot more than they really want to. And in the process, um, you know, the, the, the more they threw the football and they went three and out and et cetera, well, guess what? That means the defense is on the field way too long, and then all of a sudden they start to tire out a little bit. We've got Nat Moore here talking about the 1985 Monday night beatdown of the Chicago Bears at the Orange Bowl, an electric crowd, an electric night there in Miami. And Nat, I want to kind of change gears here and just talk about general topics as far as two Dolphins legends along with yourself. You had a good, a, a good chunk of time playing with both Dan Marino and Don Shula. What can you tell Dolphins fans out there, something they might not know about Dan, the quarterback that he was on the field and kind of the leader he was in the locker room? Well, I think the one thing that uh, you, you need to know about Dan is he, he was, a, he was a, a player's guy. You know, he hung out with the guys. Uh, we we, we, we uh, did so many things together and still do. Uh, and, and that's one reason everybody loves him. You know, I mean, I think, you know, when you think about Don Shula, the winningest coach in football history, and, and you talk about those two icons, you know, I would be remiss if I don't talk about the Bob Greasies and the, the Larry Zonkas and the Larry Littles, the Jim Langers, the Dwight Stevensons. I mean, you know, the, the, what made us successful was that we had very talented guys that were all willing to give a little bit of themselves for the overall good of the team including Dan. I mean, it, Dan could throw it every down if he wanted to, okay? <laughs> but, you know, he didn't. You know, he, he understood that the running game had to be a part of it. You know, not necessarily the, the main part of it, uh, but a part of it. And, and that's how you win um, continuously 
is making sure that everybody's included and everybody's involved. And, you know, that was one of the great things about uh, playing for Don Shuley. He had that ability to look at his team, assess what the skill set was, and adapt to that talent. You know, when I, when I played with Bob Greasy and Larry Zaka and Larry Little and those guys, well, we ran the football. And, and think about this. Bob Greasy was the quarterback, and he called all his own plays. There were no uh, offensive coordinators sending in the plays. So with all those victories, Bob Greasy was our, was our um, uh, offensive coordinator. Yeah. And he chose to run the football when we had such a devastating offensive line, and he had the best receiver for my money to ever play the game at that time, Paul Warfield who was also a tremendous blocker. Paul Warfield is the only receiver in the Hall of Fame, the only one that averaged over 20 yards a catch, and every fifth time he touched the football, it was a touchdown. And he played on a team that went to three straight Super Bowls, and he only did what they needed him to do. It's, it's it the, wasn't about him. It's the ultimate team so, atmosphere and team aspect. And I just, I have to imagine for you, Nat, that playing for a guy like Shula, and not like you guys needed any any more evidence that he was an all-time great coach, but I have to imagine as a player to see the way he transitioned from the run-heavy offense that you all ran in the 70s into the early 80s, and then once Dan gets in there and it kind of goes into more of a passing, morphs into a passing type of offense, that has to just give you so much more respect for a coach like that. Well, I, I think, you know, not for just the, the head coach, Don Shula, because like I said before, there's a reason he's the winningest coach in history. Uh, he's willing to make the tough decisions and, and, and make the adjustments that will help teams uh, be better than what they think they are. Um, you know, but along the way, there were a tremendous group of coaches and a, a tremendous group of players that were all willing to listen and learn. You know, I mean... You know, I think sometimes today a, a lot of a lot of guys don't reach their full potential because as soon as they have success, they become set in their ways, and it's all about them. Uh, the team just that I played on for 13 years, uh, that was not even thought of. It was what to do to help this team win this week. And that- How am I going to help make this team better? And there were going to be games where you – to guy and there's going to be games where you were the decoy but it's the it's the worker bees right that keep teams winning guys that will sacrifice he is nat moore ring of honor miami dolphins legend nat thank you so much for doing this with me today man i had a lot of fun it's my pleasure thanks for having me on and there he goes nat moore Boy, how good was that interview with Nat Moore? Talking about the ins and outs of the game, talking about Dan Marino, Don Shula, the importance of teamwork and work ethic, and how that translates from 1985 to today's game. A lot of parallels between that team and what the Dolphins are trying to build here this year. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. On tomorrow's podcast, we're going to talk to Neil Reynolds of Sky Sports, who spent a day with Ryan Fitzpatrick, so we'll get to know the Dolphins quarterback a little bit better. And then next week, we're going to turn things over to the draft and talk about the offensive line, the quarterbacks, every position in this class. We're going to have you covered here on the Drive Time Podcast, so do not miss that. Plenty of content heading your way as we are just three weeks away from opening night of the draft, round number one. 
where the Dolphins have three picks in that first round, two more in the second round, and 14 picks in total. Exciting times here on Drive Time, exciting times here for the Miami Dolphins, but as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins for all of our content at Miami Dolphins. Of course, check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast and MiamiDolphins.com. We have a written piece on the 1985 game and plenty of draft content coming your way on the website, on the podcast, everywhere you get your Dolphins football. But until next time, fins up.